Oh, the People's Square, they don't really do that very much anymore. But, um... From Massa Tucker's content plantation, it's the People's Square. I'm your host, <laughs> Boys. With me as always is the inimitable Eric Stryker. Hello, hello, everyone. Today we will be talking about cartoons and Nintendo. Hell <laughs> yes! <laughs> Heck yeah! Um, so <laughs> no, but today I have actually a fairly fairly known. You've definitely seen his stuff around. A fairly uh, known political cartoonist. Um, he's, uh, he's a good friend of mine and uh, very active. And he's uh, he's doing a, a bunch of projects at the moment. And he has his own live stream. His name is uh, Gingerzilla. How are you, friend? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, um, just um, F- Frank or Borzoi, do you guys have, just to, to, to refresh the memories of the, uh, the audience of what I mean by that they've seen his cartoons before. Do you have any of his cartoons up, uh, queued up? I know I didn't tell you to, but you can find uh, them on the Frank goes the, If Frank goes to the notes, he can pull up uh, GingerZilla's yeah, yeah. uh, Telegram channel or, or, his web, or, yeah, or his website, and that should be easy yeah. to pull up right there. Yeah, there, there are some. Uh, I mean, you have a couple of cartoons. There's one that has Hitler in it, and uh, I've seen that one shared probably tens of thousands of times. No, GingerZilla. Oh yeah, that's one of my most popular ones. I get, I still get. I haven't really done many cartoons lately. Um, I still get messages and emails, like pretty heartfelt ones from guys telling me that how much that one meant to them. Yeah. So walk me through the process. So I have no idea. I'm not. I can appreciate art, but I'm not an artist, so I don't have any clue what the process of creating a cartoon is. Now I'll say this. Um, I will actually affirm that pro whites or, or white nationalists or people in our in our spectrum of uh, of politics are by far the most influential political cartoonists in America at the moment. Would you agree with that? I think definitely. Um, it's the the best cartoonists are the ones that tell the truth. Uh, when you know the, it's really not hard to be a cartoonist if you can draw and you're willing to say things that are true, then the you know things just kind of write themselves. Yeah. It's when you have like these contrived tranny cartoonists that are trying to make like you know whatever gender positive crap that they're coming up with, they're just not funny. They're not true. There's there's just nothing relatable to anything. Um, so as long as you're telling the truth. Uh, well, the, uh, well, what I notice is, you know, of course, the most influential, legendary of them all is Stone Toss. Yeah, and uh, their answer to Stone Toss is, and I've said this before, it's to take Stone Toss's cartoons and rewrite them so that the punchline is murdering Stone Toss. What's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he takes like a clever Stone Toss. You know, Stone Toss has a way to say so many things in three panels. And the transsexual Antifa response is like, well, the joke is that we find Stone Toss and we kill him. They do That's, that, or they'll take, <laughs> so he stops making these cartoons. <laughs> or they'll do an edit where they they take the punchline and they make it into some of their rhetoric, and they just make they just replace the joke with like wall text, 
and oh yeah, it just becomes not funny anymore. Now you've just you've actually made it. You've just turned yourself into the joke when you do that. Well, they also tried to do like a, like an irony thing as well. They were trying to do like uh, uh, in Among the, the game's called Among Us. They were trying to do a bunch yeah. of uh, like post ironic or some kind. Of, I, I don't know what you would call it, but they were trying to do some denigrating memes and Stone Toss just incorporated it into his comic. Where now every comic is a little. Uh, he put makes it into a little game now where you got to find the little, little Among Us figure in the uh, in the cartoon. They were really pissed off when he started doing that. <laughs> That's clever. Yeah, I mean. But essentially, yeah, what you said about Waltex, I mean, this is why, you know, fascists and, and nationalists or whatever you want to call it, so we're going to have a fundamental advantage in political cartooning. And we do. And it's because our things, what we believe is intuitively true. If you believe things that are that are false, then you have to have over explanations for them. Um, and so that's why there will never, never be, um, you know, a great Antifa cartoonist. Right. Uh, because if they actually they could just explain what they're about, which is, hey, we're 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 basically mentally ill um, sexual deviants and Jewish people. And we think that we should have the right to kill people that make political cartoons making fun of us. That's their ideology. So some of them actually just embrace it. Like I said, they make those. What, what do they call it? Do they still have that around the, the Reddit group Antifa Stone Toss? Uh, last I checked, sure they, they do. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's just wonderful to surf through that and watch them writhe in impotence um, at someone just basically making fun of them. Um, and, and we're always going to have that advantage over them. We're, we're always going to be able to make fun of them. Um, so uh, your, your cartoons, though, are not as uh, sprite or as lighthearted as Stone Toss. Uh, yeah. Yours are a little more serious, maybe even a little more dark. In, in a yeah. sense, they're definitely more of a serious kind of political cartoon. So, I mean, what, first of all, walk me through the pro- How long does it even take you to make one, just one cartoon? It depends on what I'm making. If it's a really complicated, um, you know, if it's got really complicated imagery, then it takes me a while. Um, but you, it, I try to keep them as simple as possible. You know, I have that same beat that Stone Toss has, usually of a one, two, three, um, and then. It's it's easy when the image is just the same one over and over again, but with a little bit of things changed here and there. Um, and coming up with, I'm, I will give Stone Toss a lot of credit for coming up with things consistently uh, and a regular schedule. That's been my biggest weakness. Anybody who's followed me for a long time knows that it's like um, <laughs> feast and famine with me. I'll like bang out. I had a I had a period where I put a new cartoon out like every day for two weeks. And then I just haven't didn't do anything for months because the ideas just weren't coming to me. Um, I do have like a full time job and family outside, so you know I I kind of whenever the ideas come to me, I jot them down and I have a backlog of things I'd like to make, but time escapes me. Um, and it uh, but it's really just like I have a an idea, or sometimes I'll hear something on a podcast that is just someone will make a metaphor out of hand, and it's brilliant. And sometimes people don't realize how brilliant their metaphor is until they see it um, yes visuals uh, this is something you know it's not to be arrogant or to be elitist or anything but there's a lot of people that can't understand concepts or ideas when you just explain it to them they have to see it yes okay, people need visual especially women people people yeah. need to be able to see things in a visual way and that's why i think cartoons are so powerful and that's why i think 
they're really powerful for people who agree with the, agree with us, and that's why they invoke such intense amounts of rage from people who disagree with us because it it hits in a place that words don't. Right. Yeah, and I I, I remember uh, just about a couple of days ago, um, the guy who runs Gab, uh, Torba, he posted one of your cartoons. Wait, oh, was did? that you or was that Stone Toss? I think he shared one of mine a while ago. Oh, no, it might have been Stone Toss, actually, the Judeo-Christian one. And I remember, uh, was, yeah, that's his. yes, I, I was uh, talking to Stone Toss once about something, and he's like, oh, yeah, I listened to Striker Mike today, and I got the idea to make this. And, you know, just seeing it was very powerful. And yeah. uh, essentially, uh, the, I believe some Jewish group was actually screen capping that when Torba put it up and was just like, just so offended because it's so true. Right. There's no such oh, yeah. Judeo. There, there is such a thing as Judeo Bolshevism. There's Judeo liberalism. There's Judeo capitalism. <clears throat> Judeo Christianity is an oxymoron. Yep. It's, it's so stupid. Like it's it's, it's really <laughs> dumb. And and making fun of it in a cartoon is just some fucking uh, pretty uh, pretty pretty uh, something you could just keep going back to. But uh, anyway, yes. So I heard that you're actually working i know you can't say much about it but and and you and i have the same problem where we will uh hype something up and then like hit some snag along the way and not finish <laughs> finish it so let's not let's not uh let's not put this curse on us but uh just tell me what your uh your, your book just what you can share some of uh what you might do with this book and so I'll do a little little background. You mentioned that my comics tend to be on the darker side, a little more serious. I would call them aggressive. Um, yeah. I someone I think it was someone in like Sweden or something did an article back in like 2018 about the the, the culture of cartoonists on, on the alt right at the time, and they called me like a typical American because of how aggressive my imagery is and how like. And that's how I am in real life. I have no filter. I'm I'm not subtle at all. Um, and I, Wait, were you I, the guy at the NJP event with with the big swastika t- tattooed <laughs> on his head? Is that was that you? No. Oh, okay. So that, that's someone um, else. But I <laughs> yeah. I do I like doing the really you know this when you read my like Stone Toss has some of his cartoons. You can share it with like a normie boomer and the boomer will laugh and not realize that a Nazi made it or, a, a, you know, a fascist made it, whatever you want to call us yeah. made it. Um, but there's no question what I think when you read my comics at all. Right. And I've, and there is a lot of negative negativity to it, um, which is fair. You know, when you're, when you're in a political struggle, you can't avoid negativity. You're attacking your opponent. Um, but I have wanted to for a long time sort of, Re- redirect my efforts in a more positive direction um yeah. mostly because drawing that smarmy hook nose face all the time is really <laughs> brings you down <laughs> yeah so yeah. i want you know I, I i've been i actually have several projects i started working on on my own um that were or book projects comic books that one right there that's up there that's one of my favorites of mine um so I I started making I have like a comic book that I've got like 10 pages done on I've got a another comic book that I've got a few pages done on and written the story written out for that are very positive adventure stories that I want for our kids yeah and it's difficult to like kind of keep that project going and 
I was talking to Antelope Hill about something unrelated to this, and I, I mentioned if they wanted anybody to do illustrations for any of their books to let me know, I'd be happy to help. And they reached out to me about this book. Um, it's about bees. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, it's a children's book. It's a, a good length, and it's very, very, very well written. Um, I actually had my wife read it before uh, before I you know, started, decided I was going to do it, definitely. And she loved it, and she's very normie. Uh, she doesn't like to wade into the deep end of politics and, and the mudslinging. So it's it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really good book. Um, it's very child-friendly. It's got, it's got an Aesop's Fable feel to it. Um, oh, you know, I love and, Aesop's Fables. Yeah, it's 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 in the animal world teaching us a lesson about, about a certain tribe. Um, <laughs> So it's. Yeah. I think it's going to be good. I, I was just discussing this the other day with some me, me, me and uh, me and Mike did a, a segment on the last strike of Mike on uh, on Jewish ritual murder, and you know I, I tend to kind of not shy away, but uh, always kind of approach kind of very fantastical claims like that with a degree of skepticism, right? Just some regular academic skepticism, but there there actually is strong evidence that this is occurring. Um, however, there are periods where uh, princes and dukes and so on would ban discussion of ritual murder, which makes me think, you know, vampires, right? You use an allegory like a vampire to portray these incidents and actually teach people lessons about it. You know, th- think of think of uh, think of the uh, the vampire not being able to see his reflection, right? What is that? That's a Jew that can't reflect on himself. Um, so there, there's lots of, of uh, the, the way that people deal with uh, system tyranny, institutional repression, and, and the lack of free speech oftentimes is by using metaphors. And um, and I think that's uh, that, that, that your book sounds like a very interesting way to approach that, especially for kids, you know, just teaching yeah, kids I, good things. I think the, the flip side of that, the, the the thing that bothers me about it, and I actually like doing I want to do it just to kind of broaden out a little bit and, like I said, do some more positive stuff. Um, but the, the thing that always bothered me about not being, like, ham-fisted like I am and just blunt is, like, now you're relying on the intelligence of some, somebody else to yeah. understand what you're saying, <laughs> which in today's society is a tall order. Um it's you know we have you have now we have a fable about you know using animals to describe something, but now it's open to interpretation about what I'm trying to tell you. Um, right. I, so I, I like it because it does it it lends timelessness to something. Yes. But it also makes something into like a potential product that someone can just consume without actually absorbing the message, which I suppose mm-hmm. is harmless. But it does, you know, I guess. It's probably good that the the only more intelligent people see the message, but it uh it, it is a double edged sword, I think. Yeah. Uh, so you you actually, I if I recall correctly, you had a collection of your comics up, like being sold at Walmart. A while back, didn't you? <laughs> I I had them. It was through a whole bunch of merchants. I did, and then uh, I had some OPSEC issues that forced me to uh, take it out of circulation. Um. So um, it's unpublished at the moment. I'm looking for po- a ways to, to republish it. Um, right. But for anyone who has one, I think I sold like between seven and 800 copies. So 
Whoever that's, has that's it. Really that's really good. That's really good. I, with with no with no marketing and no no social media. <laughs> yeah, you know, again, this is the thing. Like, you know, we we might have some issues in the short term. Uh, built, you know, bringing back our audience to know where to find us, but we always do with time. Yeah. And that's something that they have to understand that we're, we're just actually just merchants of truth. And, and the place that uh, regularly and consistently provides the truth will always be us. Yes. Okay. You can, you can, you can put uh, Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro in front of everyone. But what I would say is that, you know, you, you can deny it, uh, you know, just because you make someone, you put broccoli in front of someone, you know, a child doesn't mean they're going to eat it. You know, they're just right. going to pick around and stuff. So uh, I think that in general, that um, you have a lot of potential, especially if, if with a children's book, which I mean, I, I've seen white nationalists try to do children's books. And the best one I've seen so far was the one that, um, that George Lincoln Rockwell or someone like him, you know, the, the, the ducks and the hens. Or yeah, something. I've had some people can try to convince me to, to redo the artwork for that. Yeah. Um, I thought about it, but I'd, I'd rather do something original because we, we have a lot of content, um, but so much of it. I, I think this is a good exta- uh, pro- product of so many of the people in our milieu are working guys or people with families or just people who don't have the same amount of time that like some, you know, Antifa leech has. So, right. It's a lot of our stuff is derivative. We, we take things that exist because there's already a foundational understanding of it and we use it to get our point across. We don't have that much original stuff. So I, I, I'm excited to be working on something original. Um, Yes. And I agree back to, uh, my 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 collection my compendium that i was selling before i one of the best couple moments of doing anything uh for me as an artist was i got people emailing me dming me on telegram pictures of themselves or their hand with my book and like different parts all different parts of europe in france in germany um interesting i had kids telling me that were 15 that they that they um they got a copy and they have it hidden under their bed from their parents. <laughs> like, oh my god! It's we, we like we are the counterculture. Like I know that's a cliche thing to say, but we are, and mm-hmm. um, it's it was, just, it was just really cool for people to be sending me all these pictures of where they had the book and like people on ranches. Where, it was just really, it's really inspiring to see the cross section of yeah. The people that we reach to, that we reach out to, and that that are on our side, because it really is like from you know from California to Eastern Europe, it's everybody is paying attention, and they're they all care, and it's really it, that was like a moment for me that really kind of highlighted how united we all are in this struggle. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and uh, and like I previously mentioned, uh. The guys that are the most influential political cartoonists of our time are all our guys. I mean, you know, uh, A. Wyatt Mann came back for a while, came back with a bang. Like, he was uh, probably the most iconic figure in American culture, at least pop culture or internet pop culture, for like two years was The Merchant. 
Um, and that that's kind of an older cartoon. I believe it. He he was a- active drawing those things in like the '90s or early 2000s. Um, but yeah, so we're doing great on that front. So anyway, tell me a little bit about you have a, a new show where you live stream, and uh, you. Uh, so just explain what you do on there. You draw and you you uh, play Nintendo. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm a big uh, retro game guy. I, I can go off on why modern games are so bad, and especially mobile stuff. Um, but no, mo- gee, mostly my old gamer. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm an old boomer when it comes to. Do you, do you have one of those old '90s Sony TVs? I know that's a big like. Thing. I do. Does your wife constantly try to throw it away? <laughs> this is my third one. <laughs> Do you just come home randomly and just realize that your wife threw your retro game? No, no, she didn't throw it away. What happens? What happens is I get one, and it's too big. And I real, I'm, you know, I'm not an idiot. I know. I was like, ah, oh, shit, I shouldn't have brought this home. <laughs> and it's you know just, and then I, I've done that several times, and this is my. Last one, it's a reasonable size, and I got my NES with an EverDrive hooked up to it. It's uh, but I'm my NES sucks; it keeps crashing on me. So uh, I have a SNES too. I saw in the comments, SNES is the best. I agree um, that I have one of those too. But my streams mostly a draw streams. I um, just draw and chat with the chat. Um, I, I decided to do it because I am not producing cartoons. I haven't been lately. I think the last one I produced was one of your metaphors, Striker, about the the eye doctor. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was the last one I made, and um, that was a good one. I I've had a couple ideas here and there, but just the, the inspiration isn't isn't there to work on it, and I I just feel more connected to what I'm working on now. So I figured just kind of you know I don't want to just disappear off the internet and and you know people be like oh where did Ginger Zilla go. Um, so I thought I'll do a live stream of a drawing and I've actually had several artists, um, in our thing reach out to me, uh, just wanting advice, showing me stuff that they're working on, um, and asking for tips on, you know, X, Y, or Z. So I thought I'd just kind of show my process and, um, maybe people can pick up tips or just watch me draw stuff. I haven't, I didn't even draw cartoons or anything in particular in my draw streams. I just was taking requests and, uh, then I did one game stream the other day where I just kind of played random NES and SNES games. Su- su- yeah, Super Nintendo. I, I have I have the uh, the emulator for it on uh, yeah. the the emulated one um, that I play like once a year. But yeah, no, you're you're kind of right. And there's also you know as an artist, there's a kind of uh, there, there's an artistry to those old games too. Like really the the, the really bright, wonderful. Sort of backgrounds and you know in a, in a two dimensional. There is uh, when Nintendo you, game, yeah. When you get into making anything, like I'm also in. I I can do I do programming and stuff. I'm like bug man from from stem to stern. <laughs> ah, okay. I, uh, so I I actually like making games for fun too. Um, a lot of the difficult pro the difficult tasks that need to be done for game development is is really done for you nowadays. Like any retard with a computer uh, with basic sk- programming skills can make a simple game like Mario. Right. Um, but back in the 80s and the 90s, games like that were written in a language that's called Assembler or mm-hmm. Assembly. And it's extremely 
uh, uh, difficult <laughs> to make. You need teams of like extremely smart people to make a game. And then the limitations of the hardware at the time forced artists to be very creative in how they made things work. Yeah. So it's those games from back then are represent they represent genius and artistic um, determination, like t- to get something like that done. Nowadays, you can just anybody can shit anything out, and it you know it, there's no restriction on it. Uh, there's no bar of entry or anything. Right. So yeah, you know, there there definitely is a kind of retro kind of I don't want to say reactionary, but this <laughs> reactionary gamer movement, which is uh, you know, um I don't really play video games, but if uh I remember one that, that I thought was kind of cool that I played for like an hour, which was Cuphead yeah. on Steam, and you could tell that they that a lot of that was hand drawn. Oh yeah. Or, like really just a lot of of effort and creativity went into that you know very very different from the types of uh computer games they have now which are you know pretty gay now they're uh, made to be like sim- like here simulate this part of life that you don't have in oh, rather yeah. than like games used to be a challenge like here kid i made this really really difficult thing try to do it and don't get too mad don't break your controller like it, it, you know you get pissed after an hour trying and then you go play outside that's what it was yeah, like those kid. assholes made fucking super <laughs> nintendo games super fucking hard yeah I, I i remember more than once throwing my my fucking controller <laughs> when i was a kid just chipping yeah. out over uh over how annoyingly difficult they they made these things but i think what one thing that i don't like that maybe some people have different opinions on is that the newer video games try to blur the line between reality and fantasy. And if you're a young white man, the real world is, is against you, right? Yes. And it's, it's dangerous too because you. Yes. they, they one of the most popular modern games, which I actually have played and I did enjoy it was Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes. And it's, it is amazing. It, that game is, is a, a triumph of, of artistic, you know, vision and creating a real realistic world. But when you play it and you become immersed in it, it's just like everything else in our culture. It is saturated with lies about history and you have to just go with them to like, you know, someone like me or any of our guys will will play it and they can shrug off that kind of the, you know, the falsehoods uh, that that it, it builds into its world but just regular guys that aren't aren't woke to anything that we are, they just take it at face value, and they they go through, and they they live this fake life in the world that could be ours, <laughs> like that. Yeah. They could be living a life like that, but they're not. They're living in a you know, and they're and they're also at the same time absorbing all of the the bullshit narratives that that are baked into something like that. Right. Right. Yes. And I think that. Um you know, I, I it hasn't been studied, of course, but what what is the effect of tricking the brain to think it's it's living in a parallel universe that is very lifelike? Yeah. What does that do to your brain? Do you lose track of reality? Do you uh, begin to question reality? Do you you know what what is the actual long term effect of of being an, an online gamer in one of these very immersive? computer games i think it's just like porn it's the same yes. it's the same yes. thing you're 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 tricking your brain into thinking you're getting what you need 
and you're not. You know, it's just like it's like porn. It's like eating junk food. You know, yeah. anything you do that that gives your brain the chemicals it wants, but doesn't give your your body or your soul what it needs. Yeah, you're not actually achieving anything. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yes, um, yeah. I, I think in general, though, yes, there there is definitely a, a, a retro retro gaming movement oh, yeah. that I, I notice a lot of the people in it are kind of. There's a lot of bug men in it, but there's also kind of a lot of uh, right wing leaning people, like far right people in it, and uh, and they all have the same problem, which is their wives keep throwing out their uh, <laughs> their gaming TVs because they think it's trash. <laughs> That's like the first, and they're thing. becoming so, not trash. It's it, for a long time. It was like you could go get a a, a T, CRT TV at like you know Goodwill or whatever. You like for like twenty bucks, and oh, now, now, well, it's not that they're expensive. It's that those places are stopping. Have that a lot of them have stopped carrying them just yeah. because they're huge and they take up space and they're heavy, and. So they just they don't want to deal with it because most people don't want those TVs. So now you got to go like on Craigslist or on eBay, and if you buy one on eBay, yeah, the TV's twenty dollars, but shipping is three hundred because oh they're shipping God. a, you know, they're shipping a fifty-five pound television to you. <laughs> oh, good God! Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, um, so politically speaking, how, how did you get into all this? How did you uh, discover this this movement? I was a Lulbert, like real bad. I, well, I, I was when I was a kid in high school. I was like, I was like in high school during the Iraq War. I was a freshman in high school when uh, when nine eleven happened. Yeah. So I was pretty much, you know, go team America at that time. I was just a dumb kid, but my dad was um, like full on, you know, uh, what's his, what's the on Fox News. Bill O'Reilly every night was on my house. Oh yes, uh, my cool. dad was always watching it, and so I would always sit with my dad and watch. So I was I was like neocon as a kid, and then I got older and started to develop my own opinions. And I, I leaned pretty hard into anarcho capitalism. I, I I consumed a lot of Molyneux content. Interesting. And then he had uh, I think my turning point for me was he had Jared Taylor on, and uh. then I went down the rabbit hole with Jared Taylor, <clears throat> and then. I think it was around that time that I just, it was around that time when Charlottesville happened and I just felt like, okay, this, I don't know how to, how to do, how to help with this, but I can, I can draw. So I guess I'll do that. And I started and most of my comics then were just like, go men of the West. I didn't, I hadn't really looked into the JQ at all. I was just kind of starting to come around to being a nationalist. And it, uh, then I, caught a uh someone sent me a trs episode uh tds episode from way back it was like an older episode and and i at first when i listened to it i'm not gonna lie like i was like cringing at like every time the n-word was said oh and because i wasn't i wasn't used to it and it was like i was like holy crap i can't even understand anything that's all these (laughs) Oh, you, you must not be from Queens. I'm not. <laughs> no, don't say where you're from, though. I don't. We don't no, I won't. I won't. But but uh, I started. You know, I started listening, and I liked the the back and forth and the kind of jokey. It was it was much more easy to listen to those guys because uh, yeah, it was it was it was there was serious topics, but it was kind of sandwiched in like, you know, just guys hanging out kind of feel. So I started yeah. listening. More yeah, you know, I, this is something, it's not for everyone. Some people have to do really kind of serious and dour work, but 
you know, just kind of uh, talking about things in a in a normal way, like just n- no theater, really, no no like I'm gonna say it, you know, n- none of that yeah. stuff. Just and then like, after that, I dove I dove into uh, you know I did the one third of the Holocaust. Uh, I'm sure we've oh, all yeah. seen that. And then uh, I did Richard Harwood. I I, I binged the uh, Europa documentary, the ten hour one. Mm. I think I I did that almost in one sitting. Yeah. Um, that was oh, a good shit. one. And there's a bunch of, you know, I'm sure we're all familiar with all the different ones that are out there. The, uh, the, the greatest story never told. Yeah. It's a classic. And then I, then I started actually reading books and, um, and it shows like you also the, 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 the diverse kind of forms of media that will, uh, convince people or speak to people, right? You have yeah. film, filmmaking books, podcasts, it, 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 the, Anyone that has a skill can actually just contribute by just creating something. It doesn't yeah. matter what it is, political cartoons, anything, right? And I think the, the biggest thing for me when I was kind of getting, I'll say red-pilled, sorry for the cliche, but the biggest part of being red-pilled for me was um, when I started looking into the Holocaust stuff, and I, I did not feel any trepidation about learning anything until that point. Mm-hmm. And when I started looking into it, the, the level of determination I had to find, like, proof of it that was unquestionable, that was, that was yeah. uh, credible and convincing, like, I was, it was almost like a panic. Like, I, no, no, this has to be real because so much of my worldview rests on this being real. And because especially as a, as a conservative, we all, we all made the joke that concert, Democrats and Republicans, like, all they do is argue about how they'll prevent the Holocaust. Right. And how they also prevent Nazis. And it's when you start to have your understanding of the world and you realize a change and you realize, oh, these these cornerstones of my uh, worldview are exactly the opposite of what I thought, then it really messes with you. So you have this like desperate moment where maybe not everybody, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but I was, you know, my grandfather was a World War II veteran. I had a lot of my my. Uh, identity as a as an american tied up in like oh we went to war and my my grandfather fought in the uh second world war and my great-grandfather fought in the first world war and my right. you know it so all of that kind of was at stake to when i was researching that and and going down that rabbit hole and eventually you just gotta i guess that that's kind of where people either like fully commit to these politics or they they they, they backpedal hard and, and just take the blue pill Oh. Right. Yeah, I, I actually it's funny you say that because I had the ex- exact same experience about, well, you know, a decade and a half ago when uh, when I received uh, R- Richard, Richard Harwood, I believe, was the, the pen name of the author. I received this kind of thin, thin book called uh, Did the Holocaust Happen or something like that. And when I looked at it and I read it. I couldn't believe my eyes. I'm like, how is it possible that something that is so ubiquitous, that is basically the fabric of post-war American identity, post-war Western identity is, is this, this story, this Holocaust. How the fuck is it possible that it's a lie and how could they keep it a lie? And you realize then that, at that point that you're actually like living in a snow globe that a Jew is shaking (laughs) and then it, it rain and it snows lies. 
Like that. That's a, <laughs> like the snow yep. when the snow, snow flies. flies. There you go. It's another political cartoon. <laughs> another cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> you know that 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 was the point. And I remember also like just desperately. I don't know what it is in us that makes us like this, but I was just desperate to find proof. That would debunk what these historical revisionists were saying and like really looking into it, just being like, no, it can't be. It was like the reading that was like uh, like an, like a, the, the plot twist and saw when you realize it was all a game or something like it's just like and at that point, you basically start to consider that virtually everything and anything you've been taught could be a lie. Yes, and then you don't believe it, and then that's a really dark period when you get red pilled. Is you just yeah. uh, suddenly you don't know what to believe about anything, right. and it's very confusing. And then, then, then something clicks, and you're and you're like, okay, well, if you can't objectively know the truth about anything, because you really can't, there's no way for anybody to know without any doubt of what is actually true um, in yeah. terms of what happened. Then you take, okay, well, if I can't objectively know anything with 100% certainty, then I'm just going to take my own side. Because whatever truth I best understand and best explains what I'm seeing in front of me and protects me and mine and my people and my family, that's good enough for me. And then then you t- it, it kind of puts things, it, it almost forces the world into like a perspective outside of the paradigm of the world, mm-hmm. where now you have an animal understanding of the world where I need to yes. look out for me and Intuitive. mine. Yes, you just have a purely intuitive understanding of the world, and sometimes you know something is a certain way, and you can't always find the words or the evidence for it, which is, in my opinion, something we need to kind of watch for, that sometimes your gut feeling is right on something, but you're not articulating correctly, not used particularly, but in general, I see this uh, on the right, and it's not anyone's fault when they believe in kind of kookier conspiracy theories out there because the information uh you know supply the information ecosystem is so polluted with bullshit um that it's just impossible to know what's right what's wrong who's your friend who's your foe and they design it like that uh and when it comes to the holocaust i mean that you know so there, there there's some kind of there's like a vocal minority of people that will say, oh, just blow blow it off. Don't talk about it. Just if someone asks you, just say, oh, that's Germany in the 30s. We're America in 2021. But you have to understand that th- this is actually one of the basic blood libels that, that causes civilizational self-doubt in white people. So if your thing is that the problem is white guilt, well, the Holocaust is where you need to start. Like. Because white people will actually, if if they realize that it's fake, it will completely change their minds. Now, not that's not true for everyone. There are some people that are um, they have their minds changed in other methods and don't particularly care or even know much about the Holocaust. But I find that in particular, uh, in the particular demographic too is like educated people, like people that you know uh, read a lot, people that are kind of sensitive to history and observe history mm-hmm. and such. When they realize that it's fake, it completely changes their worldview. Well, I've the, seen it time and time again. It's well, the. I think we would all agree the 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 Holocaust and the Second World War is America's. Well, you know, we all America got reset in the twentieth century. Yes, um, and and changed hands. And the the new founding myth, you know, our Romulus and Remus was right. Second World War, and it's 
it's a it's a it's a founding myth rather than being based on you know our original founding myth was on, on men seeking freedom which as gay as part of it was you know i think it's still a, a sentiment that most white men value and you know then we we, we even had other uh, myths along the way of you know expanding and and manifest destiny and then the 20th century the foundation became our race is so evil that we tried to annihilate an entire other race, and yes. the only way we, we, our redemption arc was that we turned on each other and 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 massacred our own people in in horrible, horrific right. ways. Uh, I, I mean, just how many? Porn, so that's how many of the soldiers that that fought in the European theater were German or even Italian themselves? Like many of them, um, completely nonsensical. What happened there? No, I totally agree with you that that this is this is the. I mean, think about it. From you know, we were talking about, or I was talking about the the, the uh, blood rituals of the Jews. Like they fight that. Jews use historical revisionism to vindicate their people from the murder of little Simon of Trent. Right? They right. take that very seriously. And when someone says, "Hey, like Ariel Toff, who is an Israeli academic, whose father," is the was the chief rabbi of Rome when he goes to Europe and studies the archives, studies the available evidence and says, you know, in some cases there was Jewish ritual murder. They go and they shut him down. They shut him down. And and what me and Mike were saying on the show the other day too is that uh, we were discussing how a lot of the the, the methodology for proving the blood sacrifices, which did happen, seem to have been recreated by Jews themselves in a cynical way for the Holocaust. Like the idea that, um, you know, uh, the, the taking confessions under torture, for example, that's, that, that, that was ironically one of the attacks on Ariel Toast's book, which just documented all of the Jews that confessed to doing this. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League and various Zionist groups basically said, well, those confessions were taken under torture. Well, Rudolf Host's confession at Nuremberg was taken under torture right uh virtually all the the nazis at nuremberg were tortured the ones that confessed to the holocaust so um you know which one is it you know so anyway um so i, I do want to talk are, are we actually frank i just want to ask is uh is there actually a lot of lag going on with the stream oh we're streaming on youtube too okay sounds good yeah i'll post the i'll post the link in the chat right now yeah so uh, i don't know uh ha, I don't. Since, since we're talking about Nintendo and cartoons, we should talk about TV too. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if you've been watching the Squid Games, the Korean uh, television or Netflix series. Have you seen that? No, I'm I'm aware of it, but I, I I don't consume much modern TV. Ah, okay. Well, one thing. So I did watch the whole thing, and it was okay. But I don't really want to get into it with like uh, oh Easter eggs and this or that, but. One thing I found very interesting about it is that um, the sick perverts that watch people kill each other, like the like the rich bankers and internationalists that uh, sit and are recruited or or actually run these games to where they watch people fly off of, of platforms and get murdered in brutal ways. There's a scene in that where uh, one of them is unmasked, and he has like a really he's kind of he's got like a big hook nose and he's gay. He tries to he tries to rape one of the uh, one of the people that's working for the games, 
and uh, and it turns into a whole thing. But I found it interesting that that this this program actually portrayed the 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 sick elites accurately. <laughs> like, yeah, guess what? If there if there is someone watching people like torture each other for fun, it's going to be queers with money. And, now, is uh, that that show is that isn't, wasn't that like isn't like Korean or Japanese or something? It's uh, it's from South Korea, yes. South Korea, yeah. And it, the premise is something like people fight to get rid of their debt, right? Isn't that yes. the premise? Yes, yes, which also adds a layer to it. I mean, that's that's the world we live in now, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like we just, it's not so clean cut, and like, you know, it's not, it's not as simplified. But still, people that people just are slaves to debt, and I bet if they did start. A fighting ring where people could just fight to the death and be be rid of their student loans and their mortgages and their car payments. Yeah, I, I, people would do it. It wouldn't even. It's not a far fetched idea. It's, it's almost too real, actually. Yeah, gladiator. Uh, you know, blood sports, for example. We have our own equivalents of that. It's you know that that fat homo that eats a lot of food and and talks all the time about how he wants to commit suicide and he's eating himself to death. Oh, Nicocado. Yes, that guy. Oh, uh, that 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 one day in the future, that will be seen as our version. The, the way we look at Roman blood sports will, in the future, people will look at that kind of sick stuff, like what, mukbang, mukbang. They call it. Yeah. They they'll look at that as the equivalent of that, of this, and you know they do it for money. YouTube tolerates it. Um. So it, it, it really isn't any different. And I think that that's kind of like the Spenglerian worldview that and kind of Julius Evola as well. Where I, so I, I halfway agree with them on this, which is that, um, you know, concepts or, or, or uh, categories don't really change in, in their philosophical aspects. They just change in their aesthetic ones. So, you know, Romans had blood sports. We have mukbang. Um, you know, our and version so on. is just way more pathetic. Yeah, and it's way <laughs> less dignified. Yeah, you know, gladiators were actually like far more; they were respected to a, to a large extent in Roman society. Not that that was a good thing either, but like they had far more; they were far more dignified than. I'd, uh, I'd rather have wor- have like cultural worship of you know slave warriors than cultural worship of like. You know, binge eating faggots. <laughs> right, right. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yes, the 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 ultimate lesson is just this this, this streak of nihilism. Um, that even you know, if you read the New York Times, they're even kind of talking about this themselves, and and even telling liberals a kind of is what when when the New York Times writes an an opinion column, it's basically a telegraph to elite liberals to stop doing something or to do something. So the New York Times is, is, is actually repeatedly writing uh, articles on things like, um, you know, like the, the trend of liberals celebrating when some conservative that doesn't take the vaccine dies of COVID. Yeah. The New York Times has actually written some articles telling them to, to stop being so insensitive about that because it's, it's basically making them look really bad. Um, and so you, you start when, when the Jews are saying, are expressing concern that society is becoming too callous. That's how you know we've fucking gone off the deep end in this country. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, like they had, I don't know if you saw us, the, the Herman Cain Awards. Is that a thing? I never heard of that. <laughs> there, there, there's, a, there's an internet forum on Reddit where yeah, the they have something. 
Yeah, they have something called the Herman Cain Awards. And uh, on there, people find, like, boomers on Facebook that are all into vaccine conspiracy theories, and then they die of COVID. And so the, the bug men on Reddit, they screen cap them with a before and after of, like, I'm not taking the vaccine. This is it's the, it's the mark of the beast or whatever. And then they they add another screen cap, which is, you know, so-and-so died of COVID yesterday. <laughs> and they uh, and they make a whole big thing of it, and they call it the Herman Cain Awards because Herman Cain, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the failed kind of base black or whatever uh, presidential candidate, was doing it. COVID, you know, kind of COVID conspiracy stuff for saying COVID's no big deal, and then he died of COVID. And so that, that, that's kind of the level they're on. Like, they, they have no no pity, no empathy for these people. And the New York Times is complaining about it. They're saying, stop doing this. Part of, like, our extremely online existence, too. It's, it's really easy to develop a lot of hatred. Um, and I don't mean hatred in the way that, like, you know, no, I know what you mean. The, the, the liberals will use it in like, oh, hate. But like just visceral uh, contempt for people that you've never even met. I've yes. met plenty of pl- plenty of our guys, IRL. And, you know, when you shake a man's hand and you look him in the eye and you know he has a family, like the infighting stuff disappears. I'm not going to infight with somebody over some bullshit on, on Telegram oh, God. Um, or yeah. over some minutia opinion difference, you know, because someone's a pagan and I'm catholic or whatever like it's i'm not going to argue over shit like that when i'm like i'm shaking hands with like a fellow traveler right. in our in our milieu and i see a man who's got you know the integrity and the courage to like also face me and shake my hand it's it's like it's different when you're face to face with real people and, and celebrating someone's death none of those people would do that in real life none oh, of those no. people <laughs> would do any of like you know oh, fuck so no. you can you can indulge your like your darkest fantasies online but the the sad thing is it's usually at real people which is yeah and and um and um yes that, that's exactly true the, the type of person that goes on the internet and goes around like ce- celebrating stuff like the herman cain award if you meet them in person uh they'll be usually very quiet very uh very uh physically unimpressive very weak looking you know bespectacled oftentimes like you know um not that wearing glasses is bad you know i'm not i'm not doing pole potism here but i'm just saying like um you're absolutely right when you say that um the internet is just 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 makes you more mean means it, ma- it makes you mean and it makes you it make it gives people the license to um assign moral judgments to people and this almost sounds like a gay thing to say but like when i've had people who who have called me like you know various you know evil whatever uh for for the things that I, that we think and the things that i've drawn and whatever and in my day-to-day life i've come across people who are Jews that I've had to deal with and, and blacks. And I am probably kinder and more courteous than the average, than, than someone who doesn't have my opinion, because I, I think most of us are capable of seeing there, there is a difference between criticizing a group and its elites and criticizing, you know, Joe black guy on the street. I'm not going to like, be like, Hey, right. It's right. Exactly. I don't, 
I'm not going to applaud the black guy because he's a black guy. I have a criticism right. of black crime as as a phenomenon. Yeah, in our just society. don't don't live in me around me in big groups. Like that's it. Like that's right. that that's a completely normal opinion. You, you know what, what I usually do when I when I'm faced with people trying to morally scrutinize me for something like that. What I tell them is I flip it around on them. I said, you know, how many people um, are you willing to sacrifice for your anti-racist utopia? So what I mean by that is clearly, like, we saw that case on the SEPTA train in Philly where this black guy just literally raped someone in the middle of the train car. And this is a person, you know, he's, he's an illegal immigrant. He's from the Congo. He's got a 75 IQ. That's the average IQ of the Congo. Listen, someone like that, is going to try and rape everything that's not behind barbed wire nailed down. I mean, it's just, let's just be honest. He's just going to rape something. Well, that's what he happens break in out and rape at any minute. Okay. Like, that's just, you know, literally any minute. You could be coming home on the subway and you could get raped by this person. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. It's not personal. It's not hatred. I don't even blame him. It's like a person with Down syndrome or, or, right. or just a particularly violent version of it. The, the, who I blame is the immigration judge that knew this man committed crimes while an illegal alien and blocked his deportation. That is the person responsible. How about Larry Krasner, the Jewish DA, that this man, you know, I actually looked through, I was going to write about this, but I felt that other people were already doing it. But I looked through this guy, his name is Fiston Engoy, um, and um, I looked through his criminal record. And he's got a rap sheet, very long one. He had a, a, a trial coming up this week for a violent crime he committed some, some months ago. And he was just not showing up to any of his court dates or hearings or anything. And he was just walking around on the street willy-nilly, you know, like the, 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 this guy was uh, previously accused of something called assaulting a police officer and assault no i'm sorry assault assault with a hazardous material i don't even want to think about what that means like (laughs) i don't even want to know okay so this is a clearly a dangerous person law enforcement knew about him and yet political actors unleashed him so he could go and rape someone in the middle of a subway car um so really who's to blame right that like is, is is a person with a IQ of a mentally retarded person to blame? No, not really. Um, that's a person that you just you're, you're the, the 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 controllers of our society have a responsibility that if someone from the Congo is behaving that way, they have to go back to the Congo. That's it. It's that simple. I mean, that is not an extreme opinion. It's not even extreme in our current paradigm. And, and furthermore, like you know, um, back to the thing about like the the anti-racist like. You know, the, I, be, I believe there was like 5,000 extra homicides last year, right? Jesus. And um, my question is like, so what is the limit for the for, for how many extra people are going to die this year before you, you cut this anti-racist crap, right? Because the reason 5,000 extra people died last year is because of the institutional anti-racist revolution in policing. So now uh, law enforcement, I'm no friend of law enforcement. I don't like them, but, you know, they can't do their jobs because if they arrest a black person and the black person resists and they have to tase them or something, there's going to be someone like that image you showed of that black woman with the phone uh, filming them and they could go to prison for it. So they can't do their job. And so blacks have been unleashed and it's all being done in the name of anti-racism. Thousands and thousands of extra homicides every year. So. 
what I would say to a liberal that is like, oh, you're racist and that's evil, is ask them like, okay, well, how many people, how many people are you willing to kill to have killed? That's that's the actual the actual natural conclusion of the anti-racist ideology is that untold thousands of people that would be alive today will be killed. What is the limit for how many people you're willing to kill with your ideology in pursuit of your forlorn utopia? Right? And I don't I don't think they have an answer for that. I mean, have you ever talked to them, talked to people like that about this uh Zill? No, no, not in that in that way. I I'm pretty open with my opinions with people I know, um, you know, in my family at least. Yeah. But the the this kind of goes back to the the foundational myth thing that we the linchpin of the Holocaust that we because that all the anti-race stuff, the things that cops have to put up that they can't do their job, and and people people will just deny that those things are happening. Like it's you know if you get in, in, into it with somebody who's really committed to the anti-racist angle of things, and right, they'll just deny. They'll just say you're you're making it up. They'll just say you're lying, and it's just that they'll they'll you know people pick and choose facts and they pick and choose what they believe based on what their their preconceptions are or their worldview that they're entrenched in. And I think that's one of the reasons I think the Holocaust is is such a vital linchpin to pull because yes. all of every single one of these lies that 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 makes up the, the house of cards of the modern paradigm we live in is resting on that particular lie. Right. All of them come from that. And if you pull that one, the rest of them fall on the wrong. That's what happened to me. I'm, I'm yes. guaranteed that's what happened to most of the guys that came down this path is you, once you learn that. Everything else falls away. I, you don't believe anything that, that comes from that concept. And if we can, that's why I have a, I have several comics that deal with with that topic in particular. I have a lot of funny black guy comics, but those I don't think those hit as hard as the the Holocaust ones. Oh yeah, the Holocaust ones are like that's what if if you <clears throat> that's why it, it drives me nuts that people want to try and dance around that. Like that's like yeah. you having a, a, an argument with somebody. And you're not like talking about why you're actually upset with them. You're just pick, you know, like like you're fighting with your wife or something, and she's she's yelling at you about everything but the thing she's mad about. Yes, like, that's what fighting about everything around the Holocaust is like. No, that's right. the thing. That's the that's the, the the nucleus of this of this. Well, that's the thing that we have. That's a thing that allows you to suspend reason, cause and effect. The, the, this is actually the, the irrational foundation of liberalism. I mean, everyone knows what the outcome of importing millions and millions of non-whites to European countries is going to be. Everyone knows what it's going to be. And yet, people are expected to either lie about it or pretend different because of the Holocaust. That's really what it is. If you actually boil it down, it's because of that. It's because if you're allowed or if you express What's going to happen when millions of people that of a certain temperament are suddenly transplanted into a civilized European country? If you talk about that, then six million Jews. That's yep. actually what actually people don't know. Like if you've if you've ever talked to many liberals and stuff, um, or even people that are moderate on things. Oftentimes, they will grant you in private. They will grant you. It's like, yeah, black people commit a lot more crime and they're dangerous and stuff. They'll grant you all of that. But then they'll say, 
but I can't express this opinion publicly. The ones that are more ethically minded, they'll be like, I can't express these opinions publicly because if we create a political movement where we express these opinions publicly, millions and millions of innocent people will die. And I always say, it's like, how do you jump from that to this? And also, how about this? How about all the millions of people that have died because of the indoctrination of the Holocaust? Not just not just the Palestinians, but also think of the Iraq war, right? There's a million a million people died in Afghanistan and Iraq. And in Iraq in particular, what was the actual explanation other than weapons of mass destruction for the Iraq war? It was that Saddam Hussein was Hitler and he was using gas yep. to kill innocent people. And that clicked something in people's brainwashing, which were brainwashed as children about the Holocaust. It clicked something in their head and got a, a certain number of people in support of the Iraq war. And yep. hundreds of thousands of innocent people were killed for no fucking reason. So I would say that, you know, uh, you know, people would say, oh, if you express these opinions, if you talk about racialism, oh, all these people will die. Well, what about all the people that die under your ideology? Every single ideology causes death in some respects because every change is going to have people that oppose it, and it's also going to have collateral damage. And so the ethical question is here, what, why are you more justified in, in all the death and suffering and misery you cause with your ideology versus what you say I will cause with mine? What is the philosophical difference if that is your main problem? You don't even have to go forward in time that much to see how much the that the Holocaust claims. Right after the war, more, I, I, I forget. I think the stat is from Hellstorm. There's more Germans were killed after the war in the, during the so-called peace yes. than during the actual fighting because of what we you know were starting to say they did you know it's the only case in history where the the wartime propaganda uh, atrocity propaganda came after the war it's it's astounding how they've turned just a, a period of history a a political ideology and a single man into like yeah, the, you the call somebody man. that, and suddenly you're allowed to. Now they are yes, irreproachable. Uh, uh, they're, yes. they're irredeemable. And let's, and let's examine also the the actual ethical explanation behind Karl Popper's, uh, you know, the the paradox of tolerance, which is what actually informs um, American and European European more overtly because they have hate speech laws, but in America they have informal hate speech laws where they just make up a crime and then they, they go after you, even though it's, we saw that with the gypsy crusader who, you know, I'm not a big fan of his or whatever, but um, he would have never been arrested and convicted of this firearm charge. And he wouldn't have gotten the time that he did. And he wouldn't have been federally prosecuted. Again, this man allegedly bought a, a gun. He wasn't supposed to have, in Florida. He's a resident of Florida. He purchased a, uh, a gun in Florida. He had a gun in Florida despite being a felon. Uh, that, that's that's the local police's business. But the feds got involved because they didn't like what he was saying or the jokes he was he was doing. Like he, they did. They basically basically that guy was like the Dave Chappelle closer documentary, but on Telegram. And instead of trannies uh, walking out of the Netflix building, the FBI trannies go and they raid his house and they just look under every crevice and every cupboard for something to get him on. And that's, well, that's basically America, what right? happens. 
But that is how America old, uh, works. In fact, hate speech laws in America are arguably worse than in Europe because in America they have way more like federal different different federal laws that they can fuck you over with that you don't even know you're committing a crime. And these are things that when you do federal charges, you don't get five months of a suspended sentence. Sentence, which most of course black criminals that get arrested locally with guns, oftentimes they'll have their charges dropped. Or they'll have uh, a very light sentence, and they'll just be out in the street in a week. Uh, in America, but if if you're federally charged for the same gun crimes, you don't get five months; you get five years. Okay, so we have hate speech laws too. You know, I mean, this is sort of unrelated, but I was watching um, um, the uh, the House hearings, House Judiciary hearings, with Merrick Garland, where the Republicans were actually grilling him, saying. Uh, why the fuck are you sending the FBI to go and harass parents that want to have input on their children's education? Like, what, what, what fucking gives you the right to do that? And Merrick Garland had no response. All he did was just constantly repeat on loop his talking point, which is, we were not going after free speech. We're going after violence and harassment. And uh, and so he just kept repeating that. And to the to the credit of the Republicans... Even Forrest Gump himself, Jim Jordan, were like, stop talking about the talking points. Why are you doing this? You're doing this because you don't like the political beliefs of why the political angle of why these parents are opposed to what's being taught to their children on race, on gender and so on. And that's the real reason. And so, you know, uh, basically in Europe, the idea of. You know, as someone who's been to Europe, maybe in Germany or Britain, this is different. But in a place like France, um, even like sending, you know, if parents are at a PTA meeting saying, I don't like my children being taught to hate themselves. They don't send the National Security Council and intelligence services after them. They'll probably, in some cases, extreme ones, they might arrest them locally and have them pay a, a, a fine and, you know, for hate speech. But sending, like, secret agents after them, like having, like, an FBI agent pretending to be a soccer mom at your next PTA meeting, like, that is some fucking dark, fucking Jewish, like, Zionist, like, Bolshevist-style oppression, right? That's not normal. And, and, me- and that's why, in many respects, America is far more um, dystopian, you know? Think of another thing, too. Uh, the, the, the football coach that was like privately emailing someone and making some kind of relatively benign but politically incorrect comments loses his job because someone, someone uh, during an unrelated investigation for corruption of the Jewish guy that was running some, some, like, some, some con at a football team, um, they found that email in the pile of documents. And they used that. They released it through the media, and they fucked this guy's life up. And so, like, the idea that you have these creeps reading your emails, going to your going to your school board meetings, you know, just just watching Zion, watching you, watching every breath you take, you know, this is something that also comes from the Holocaust because the rationalization they give is that if you don't do this, white people will unite. They'll build up political momentum and Hitler will come back. And then there will be Auschwitz. That's literally what goes through their minds when they yep. do this kind of nasty shit. And it's, it's, um, there's, 
I think I forget what the, the I, I remember learning this long long time ago. I could not be a hundred percent true, but there's an old saying that the average American commits like ten crimes a day that they don't even realize they're committing, um, because there's so many different regulations and everything. And the we we've had this issue of blacks committing a lot of crime in America. For, I mean, we've had it since since we. You know, since slavery was abolished, they, they they just commit more crimes than us. And originally, we could just deal with it. And then after we started having, like, the, the Holocaust myth and this anti-racism, mm-hmm. we started having to use methods of dancing around the truth. And you have, you have this the strategy of, oh, well, we can get them on something else. We, we, you know, there's so many rules, there's so many laws that we can just bust these, this black criminal. We know he has something on him. We know he did what we think he did, but we, you know, because we can't do X, Y, and Z because he's black, we'll just, we'll just make this law, you know, we'll just use and abuse all these regulations and little federal laws to screw him to the wall and get him off the street this way. And that's coming back to bite us now, but because we told a huge lie Yes. That led to a bunch of little more lies. Now we have all these mechanisms in place that are used to get people for crimes they committed that aren't on the books. Right. Because they're not allowed to be. It, it's just, it's this whole, I mean, you know, we learned it when we were kids. You tell one lie, it leads to another lie, it leads to another lie. And that's what happens. And and the only way you can cope with lies is by finding, like, contrived workarounds that nobody but you understands <laughs> and now that's yes. how that's how they persecute us is with contrived workarounds that nobody right. understands and yeah, the nuremberg president look at look at signs versus kessler that's basically just a civil version of the nuremberg trials this, there's no evidence for anything and they're having it for theatrical purposes but uh, one thing i'll say is nick x makes a, a interesting comment in the chat and he goes every move you make every breath you take I'll add something here. Jews are watching you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, you know, back to what you were saying. Um, The the, the thing is, you know, you have to understand, uh, this isn't the Jews. Jews know that, first of all, I will fucking affirm and I will debate this. I will debate this with, with a Jewish person. You know the Holocaust never happened. Jews know the Holocaust is made up. They know for a fact that the Holocaust is made up. Maybe some of the younger ones... I think there so are some. Many of them you know, know. And on the street, I think the old there are ones some are. of them that. Uh, I believe that the old ones. I believe that there are some who have been almost abused with the concept since they were a kid. Yes. And it's it's but what it's done is it's made them intransigent and and just radical against us, and, and that's what they want. Well, the, what I'll say though, the point I was making is that the, the so the Jewish element that's at the very tippy top of the pyramid. Of power in America, they are cynical. They know, right? They know, and they're cynical. Whatever. But I think what's interesting, though, is is the role that the Holocaust plays in the middleman, right? Say the average bureaucrat, the thirty uh, something year old woman, working white woman that went to college, that's working at a prosecutor's office in New York City. Uh, you know, the uh, the the person working as a nonprofit lawyer at the SPLC. Uh, people like that. I think what, what what's so vital about the Holocaust is that in their minds, and, and also 
I'll also mention people at the Department of Justice and the FBI, because remember, the FBI, to get into the FBI, you have mandatory Holocaust training. I don't know if people know this, but one of the things that you have to pass when going to Quantico is some like some thing about the Holocaust where they take you to the museum and oh. things like that. <clears throat> and so when, you, when you're curious about why the, the, the FBI just flagrantly breaks the law for political reasons, it's because the, one of the lessons of the Holocaust, I, I, would summarize, I would summarize as following. Here's some of the basic lessons of the Holocaust. The first lesson is that if something that looks like the Holocaust, say a racism or a, any ism, uh, if if you can perceive it or it may be perceived or it may lead to it, that you're allowed to essentially break the law, break your oath to say the Constitution and use your power in a way that is uh, subversive. So what I mean by that is the Constitution is very clear about people's freedom of speech, you know. Um, but say, for example, in the Donald Trump investigation with the FBI agents, right, um, they were told in 2016 that Donald Trump was the new Hitler. And so if you're a bureaucrat in the U.S. government that's indoctrinated as part of your training in Holocaust lies, um, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to be like, well, Hitler, uh, Hitler is in power, and I am in the Gestapo. And so what do I do here? Well, what I do is the, one of the lessons of the Holocaust is that the guys that didn't follow orders were the good guys, right? Mm-hmm. So what does that create? Well, that creates a system of insubordination where you know, the, the, the president was telling the Department of Justice to stop the Black Lives Matter riots that took over our cities last year, and they just refused to do it. And the reason they refused to do it is they saw themselves as conscientious objectors serving under Hitler, right? That that's basically what 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 that was about, you know. So you have that aspect of it that you're allowed to, you know. Another thing you're allowed to do, another lesson of the Holocaust is that you're allowed to commit any atrocity, any anything that's wrong. There's actually no limit to how wrong your actions can be if it's in the name of stamping out Nazism or yep. possibly. Um, the potential for the Holocaust, right? And so the media taps the MK Ultra programming of feds with news stories of, you know, oh, how the border, uh, how people at the border are putting immigrants in cattle cars and sending them to die or something. And so that triggers in federal officials their Holocaust training where they're like, okay, we can't do this anymore because this is the Holocaust in 2021. So we just have to let these, we have to, we have to completely defy federal immigration law and let all these people in because doing anything but that will be another Holocaust. So it's just over, you know, another thing too with the immigration thing here. So I'm going to summarize it as this. So the first one is uh, people that take oaths to the constitution and the rule of law are allowed to violate these oaths if they think, Nazism is in charge or something like it is in charge. That's the first thing. Second thing, um, the, um, the, the, uh, the question of refugees, right, immigrants. So uh, the big thing Jews will, will teach you at the Holocaust Museum is that Jews were trying to escape Germany, but America and other countries wouldn't take them in and just sent them yeah. back. 
and that, and they sent them back to their deaths, and then millions of people died because they wouldn't take Jewish refugees. All of it lies, by the way. This is all fake. Um, not just the part where they die, but also the part where they wouldn't take refugees anywhere. <clears throat> but anyway, um, that's another lesson that that plays into the immigration debate, right? Is that if you if if you're kind of programmed with this MK Ultra doctrine of if you just deport people, if people are just forced to live in their own country, <laughs> then then they'll they'll be killed by the millions. They tap into that to subvert not just courts and federal law, but also to moral to, to give moral confidence to these kinds of immigration lawyer types, these activists. Uh, pro-immigration activists, open borders types, to journalists, people in the elite class that are the most entrenched and and um, and and subject and, and subsumed with Holocaust crap. Uh, and then, of course, the next lesson is that, and, and this is this is this is again, this is so contradictory, which shows you that there's nothing logical about the Holocaust, nothing rational about it. It's purely religious and it's purely moralistic. Um, it's the fact that um, any war. That is done in the name of human rights is justified because were it not for the allies trying to avoid a war, a world war that, by the way, killed 60 million, 50, 60 million people, that if they didn't hesitate to do that, then six million Jews wouldn't have died, that they should have invaded Germany in 1939 when Neville Chamberlain had the chance or whatever. Right. So how does that translate? Well, for the for the phony right. What they do is they'll say, this man is the new Hitler. Uh, Saddam is Hitler, and he's gassing people. Assad is Hitler, and he's gassing people. Um, Iran is Hitler, right? And so on and so on. They're the, they're the new Nazis, and if we don't intervene. Increasingly, they're even doing this with China, like you know, it, trying to evoke the concentration camps with the Uyghur thing. They're saying they're putting Uyghurs in concentration camps, and they're torturing them by the millions, and so on and so on. All, again, all of it made up. But this is actually being used as the humanitarian excuse for why the U.S. has to constantly pick fights with China, right? It's that, oh, look at all these poor Uyghurs. It's not getting anywhere, but again, that all stems from the Holocaust. I mean, there's so many evils that are done in the name of the Holocaust. And let's not even start. I mean, this one is the most obvious of all, which is the whole concept of punch a Nazi, kill the Nazis, da-da-da-da-da, right? So if you, in America, if you're an anarchist, and you label someone a Nazi, that gives you a green light to not just assault them, take away their civil rights, but even to kill them at some point, if the, if you have to. I went and, when I went yeah. to art school. Um, I didn't go like full on, but I, I did a little bit of time in art school, and I was specifically learning about doing comics there. I was told by a professional editor in the industry. If you can't think of an enemy or a villain, use a Nazi. You can do anything you want to a Nazi yep. in a comic book, and the censors won't stop you. They nope. won't censor you. They you, they'll allow you to do whatever you want. And when you actually, the interesting part is this is way before I was, you know, red pilled at all. And one of the kids, one of the young men in my class, um, spoke up and said that his grandfather was in the German military. Um, and he was protesting. He was like, you, you know, he, there was, these were real people and not, you know, you can't just lump all people in, in a military and like, just m say something like they're just 
you know, contemptible, expendable, whatever. He, and, you know, he is having a visceral reaction to that. And they kicked him out of the class for <laughs> for saying that. Yep. It was, and he was mad. And at the time, I was, like, cheering on. Like, yeah, get out of here, Nazi. And because I didn't have any a clue. But, like, looking back on something like that, it really is um, a level of program. And there's sort of a, a tiny little white pill Im- embedded in that. And that even to this day, white people have such a deep-seated sense of justice and and wanting to be virtuous and wanting to do the right thing collectively yes. that you have to build insane lies yes. <laughs> to, to trick us into doing horrible things. Right. And, and you know what's funny, too, Jinjazil, uh, is that uh, the um, the Holocaust myth, there is one instance where the indoctrination of college-educated white liberals does blow back on Jews, and that is on Israel, right? Yeah. So you see that there there is a rising. We see uh, issues like uh, this is actually a big controversy in the Jewish media. There's a, a liberal, liberal leftist woman named Sally Rooney in Ireland who is refusing to, to have her book printed in Hebrew to protest Israel. And they're fucking mad about it. But if you actually listen to her logic behind it, she's basically saying, the reason I'm doing this is for, I, it's, she said, it's not a personal attack on Jews. This is something I would do if I was living in, 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 in Ireland in the 1930s and I saw what the Germans are doing uh, to the Jews there. I would also uh, refuse to have my book printed in German. This is so essentially this is actually kind of interesting is that Jews are actually overtly committing all of the sins that they accuse the Nazis of. <laughs> yes, and well, so there's, thoughtful there's, liberals, thoughtful liberals, what they what they draw because they're more thoughtful, what they draw from the Holocaust myth is that that kind of pattern of behavior of using the military to ethnically cleanse a people, put, putting them in camps, killing them in mass that for, for racial reasons, which is what Israel does. That this is actually something that is they 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 see they are are morally willing to take risks because there are risks for liberals that are anti-Israel many many risks and they're willing to in a in a fit of moral indignation willing to cross the Jews on this matter thanks to a myth that Jews themselves created I mean it's just yep. it's just amazing it's, it's kind of funny there's there's a, a sense of Every every piece of art or, or I don't know what you – any creation always has a little bit of the creator embedded in it uh, yeah. just because the creator has experiences. And, you know, when I draw things, if I draw the inside of a house, I'm drawing from memory of what my house looked like as a kid. I'm drawing the TV that I have when I draw a TV. Like most people – they they pull from their own life when they're whether it's writing or drawing or painting or singing. People pull from their own their own psyche, their own um, spiritual existence, and the stories that Jews come up with about the Holocaust reveal a lot about their particularly their religion. Like the Old Testament is just nonstop genocide. Yeah, of yeah. people that aren't Jews, and it's it reveals a lot about them that the stories that they made up are now sort of coming true in the land that they have dominion over. Yes. I mean, now like we don't have to be speculating. Now we know what Jews do when they're the majority. Right. What what do they, (laughs) 
<laughs> what do what they, they do? What they, of doing? <laughs> what, what, what do they do? Because for, for years they had plausible deniability because they didn't have a country. Then in 1948, we all got to see, okay, you can't hide behind shadows or ideologies or you can't hide behind the American flag or the Soviet flag. You have your own flag and this is what you do under that flag. Yep. You literally murder and, and torture and ethnically cleanse people from their own lands. This is what you do that you accuse us of. You I was do. having an argument with somebody, this was years ago, about, um, I, I was posing the question of, like, wh- why do you think it's okay for Israel to, you know, just bomb hospitals and bomb, right. um, and, you know, bomb civilian vi- villages and towns it, it just because, you know, somebody chucked a rocket over the fence. And the response was, and this was a spo- response fed by a Jew to them, I'm yeah. almost certain, that, that oh well oh, it, israel is is very humane about how they do it they fly over and they drop pamphlets telling people that they're going to bomb them even if they do if someone right. chucks a pamphlet through your mailbox <laughs> that says get out or i'm going to kill you you got like, 5 minutes no, to get out you. Yeah. I, I, yeah right i'm not leaving i'm going to fight for my home <laughs> like that's not that's not a moral oh, justification. You don't, you're not suddenly oh. the good guy because you gave somebody five minute warning before you nuked right. them off the planet. Yeah. It's not. I'm, I'm imagining someone just pinning like to somebody's chest notes like I'm going to shoot you as they're holding the gun at them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, they they they're fucking bold. I mean, I, I don't. I think that the the whole thing about the 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 uh, the, the warnings they only do that when there's a, a target. That they want to hit that has, uh, you know, like Americans or Europeans in it. Like, for example, when they blew up the Associated Press's bureau in, in Israel, they they were bombing yeah. Gaza, and they didn't want, you know, they want they didn't want anyone to know about it. They didn't want the media to to be able to pick up what they were doing to the Palestinians. So they just they go, they make a phone call. It's like you're going to get bombed in 15 minutes. Get the fuck out. <laughs> And all the all the journalists in the Associated Press got out, and they just had everything their their papers, their computers, their phone, their their their, their, their property, everything blown up in this building. They just blew up this building, <laughs> you know. So they only do that in cases like that. If if you're a Palestinian, you're not getting a warning. I'm sorry if you're, uh, you know. But yeah, even if they were doing that, you're right. Uh, and, and I think that 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 argument though. Ginger only really seems to work on conservative types. That argument mm. is like well, they they can do it because, and that's because conservative types tend to tend to interpret things. They're taught to interpret things more literally. You know, liberal liberal types that are kind of more more thoughtful. Maybe they'll be like, oh, well, what is the lesson of the Holocaust? The lesson is that it's wrong to racially discriminate against people, no matter who they are or who's doing the discrimination. Well, con- conservatives have, well, conservatives, and I say this. Their lesson, their lesson in the Holocaust is like they're Jewish. They, you can't say anything about it. That's their fucking conservatives. You can't have say this about Jewish people. Are Jewish. I can say this as one someone who was of that mindset. Conservatives derive all of their American pride um, from you know, like liberals tend to be you know the, in the kosher sandwich. They they derive all their America. The value that America has yeah. is what we do for minorities really is all it boils down or for not want non-whites and but conservatives especially since 9-11 derive all of their feelings of patriotism from how violent we can be as a society towards our perceived enemies 
And when you when you tell them the story of, oh, this proxy nationalism that you can have through Israel, they had an enemy, and the enemy shot one rocket at them, so they leveled 15 square miles of homes. They just, like, pumped their fists, like, yeah, that's patriot. Like, we did it. We <laughs> It's a really, like, <laughs> like, sick way that we've gotten, like... And you know what? There is some pride to be felt, I guess you could say, in your country's ability to completely overwhelm your enemies without what you know but well that that seems like it's a it's a it's a, <laughs> that seems over now with afghanistan and stuff right that, yeah that's done yeah that ship is sailed i guess <laughs> yeah that shit is done you know so someone was saying like they, they they try to cope i saw some conservative uh posting a video of a taliban official and he couldn't find afghanistan on the on the globe uh, which is okay, fine. That's a little funny, but how about like how, how many American officials? This is something someone on Twitter said. How many American officials can can uh, can describe what a woman is? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hey, they don't they can't find their country on a map, but you don't know what a woman is. So uh, you know, even Stephen there, my friend. Um, so anyway, let's start getting to the questions. Okay, uh, I'm going to go through the Odyssey ones first and make sure there's no new ones here. I've been writing them down because for some reason it's not been popping up on the separate tab, but here we go. <clears throat> Let's see here. Farseer donates $5. Resist and multiply. Oh, yes, I or, agree with that. I think it's like, oh, that, I think he was doing some kind of possibly pun with the emojis but the copy and paste messed up oh also Aww. tam uh, at the start donated 1488 i, I, miss, Aww, I missed that you, one but yep oh uh, lord aragorn donates a dollar gingerzilla is cool oh thank you go ten dollars from phantom soul great work ginger have your book uncle always gets me a bit looking forward to whatever direction you take next thank you and look forward to it as well yeah. Uh, Xi Jinping donates $5. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Yeah. Uh, Frank, go, go ahead and post that one donation. And, and, and Chairman and, uh, Chairman Xi Jinping, when I, when I was talking about Chinese Uyghurs, uh, I was talking about the ones in China, not the uh, the ones in Los Angeles that go, Hello! Yeah, Rasham! You know what I'm talking about. That was a terrible <laughs> joke. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever oh. met an actual Chinese wigger, like an actual. Oh, no, uh, we don't. We don't yeah, have those there, in the Midwest. There's a lot of them on the coast, in New York and in uh, uh, in California. There's a lot. Would like, I, it's, it'll be like a Chinese guy with a do rag. What I, what I tend what I tend to encounter a lot more of, and I, well, I mean, I, it's not something I've had to deal with in a long time, but. When I knew a lot more Koreans, the one, especially they, they, the the West Coast ones were, I think, were a lot more just uh, frivolous and superficial. But like the East Coast ones as well, tend to be very bratty. But like Koreans have a high degree of like these kind of like club trust fund baby types that are just basically just giant. Yes, they, they act a lot like Japs, and I don't mean the the Asian Japs. I mean the Jewish American princesses. So let, let me just put something in the chat. I mean, this is unrelated, but this is actually, I don't know if there's any Asian wiggers anymore, but when I was a kid, there was tons of Asian wiggers around me, and this was their song. This was actually uh, their, their kind of like their rallying call. 
I'm not even kidding. Play it just out of morbid curiosity. This is their fucking. Is this copyrighted music? No, no, it's a A's in Pride. This is something that someone recorded on their computer. This isn't ironic either. It's real. Okay, that that is changed by Tupac, so stop playing it so so that we don't get hit by anything. Well, it's 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 fair use. I mean, they. That, this this has, is not, that believe me, that's not going to matter. Like, I, I don't want I don't want any us having to deal with problems related to that. Related to that. So the lyrics go: It's the AZN nigga. Fuck the rest. Dallas to New York, jigga. We the best. Vietnam to Japan to Mongolia, Philippines to Taiwan to Cambodia, Korea. Ah uh-uh. ah. Hometown China. Who you got? Huh? You got shit, nigga. Fuel, yeah. So, uh, Chinese Uyghurs, uh, they exist in America. There's a lot of them. So, check another that song out. Fa- this is a and they yep, another five dollars from Phantom Soul. Laotians in Greensboro, North Carolina, are the worst chiggers you can come across. <laughs> I mean, if you just scroll through that video, there's tons of funny, like <clears throat> really funny, like like graffiti style, like urban, like uh, but with Asian themes. But I, I don't know. I don't know about. I've never met a Laotian, to my knowledge. But I know that uh, it, you're right. It's big with Koreans and some Chinese. That's definitely true. Uh, here it is. Frank Someone said Borzoi's too scared that he'll want to sing along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert Gilliman donated uh, a buck. The Jews killed a man of their own 2,000 years ago, and a cult cropped up around him. They smashed that cult and replaced it with a death cult, where the gas chambers are Golgotha, and Hitler is literally Satan. It proves that every nation is a theocracy. Well, what's so, what's so confusing? Yeah, I mean, but it, it, it's like, yeah. The, the thing is, though, is that because of, of what you have to extrapolate from that, from that kind of um, Manichaean um, di- dichotomy is that then you have to kind of um, criminalize and demonize all the things that are good that people intuitively know are good, like community or family or um, patriotism, um, gender roles. These are things that everyone knows are good things. They're good for society. They're healthy. And because of this originating from this Manichaean view that Nazi evil and uh, Jew good, then you have to get rid of beautiful art, beautiful music, beautiful people. You have to get rid of all of that. And that's, I think, what's causing that you're, you're never going to be able to, in a system like that to get more than, say, 20 or 30 percent of the population to really agree with it. And so that, that's why I think they're accelerating the, the racial replacement of white people and creating this like new kind of like the, 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 the population of America now increasingly is like that pink sludge they make chicken nuggets out of. That that that's that, that they tr- they traded in the melting pot for the pink sludge, of of uh, to create this kind of um, mass mass man mass mass chicken nugget man, uh, which is like raceless and genderless, you know. So anyway, okay. Uh, so we're moving on to the entropy donations now. Uh, I'm gonna 
Let's do this guy first because he didn't have a message. Uh, PH74 donates $25. Thank you. Oh, thank you, PH. Uh, Junta Momonari. Uh, I'm going to just pair his two together because the $10 for each of these. I'm just going to pair them together because he's basically talking about the same thing. So have you listened to my call on the latest Enoch and James? We solved the low fertility crisis for whites. Just bring TFR, total fertility rate, to two, bare minimum to avoid extinction. We'll make whites the most fertile in all Western countries. Bring it to three means the most fertile non-African population after 2025. I think many are underestimating how extreme this fertility collapse of non-African population is after 2025, the supermajority of non-African countries will be below replacement. Professor Professor Zhang Chuanbo believes if nothing changes, China's population will half by 2029. Mm. Yeah, I mean that, that's a very complicated discussion. Um, I think that the Chinese can. How do you how do you, how do you lose 500 billion? How do you lose 500 million population in, in eight years? Policy. But what I would say is that you know during a time of great fecundity, the Chinese were able to have a one-child policy with with their state power. Why wouldn't they be able to have a three-child policy now? Like that that's the thing. Like they the, if you have a if you have the will to do it, you can do it. Okay, that that's the thing. This idea that things happen in the world totally independent of human will, things that humans do are independent of human will, it's just wrong. It's because just birth, wrong. Birth rates are a result of policy. It's not a, it's not a matter yeah. of it, destiny. or it's, it's choices that people in power make. Right. I mean, you, you could argue, okay, listen, uh, you could say things like the advent of birth control, things like that. This is going to change things. But, um, you know, even with that said, you could just ban it or make it more limited, not give girls birth control at 14 using the bogus excuse that it regulates their period. Man, that is the oldest and fakest excuse ever that, oh, I need to take birth control because it regulates my period at 15. No, that's not why. Stop lying. Okay. There are a lot of women too that say, Oh, I, I have to take birth control because it's it's good for you know, they, they come up with all these excuses other than the real reason why they do it. So ban that bullshit. Just ban it. Uh the two the the two biggest factors that I, I see, and this is like this goes again like to like how you have to craft policy. The two biggest non policy factors that, that I see that lead to a low birth rate, because you can just see that those patterns happen consistently throughout like just many civilizations is the is not a proper balance between the urban and rural areas because ten what the er, the rural areas tend to supply the population for the more urban power centers not having a proper balance of that and lack of a frontier because when when a when the frontiers for a people close their population also tends to drop it's a consistent pattern you can see I definitely agree, at least on the rural-urban divide, and I think that the reason for that is that if you live in a small town, there's nothing to do but to fucking look up at the sky. Like that's let's just be honest. Like <laughs> there's nothing to do but to have children. So that factor, which is the 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 D rule, is urbanization. Frankly, you know, uh, and I think other aspects of it too. Like you know, right now, as we speak. Say what you want about Joe Biden and the Democrats or whatever, you know, it's probably all to some degree theater. They added something to they have in the infrastructure bill a lot of pro-natal um, um, policies that 
you know, and before you say, oh, it's just going to benefit blacks, like they actually have have raised the ceiling for who can who can apply for their child tax credit expansion. And it, it's actually going to benefit middle, middle class and working class whites if they if they do it. Now, here's the problem. Joe Manchin and various other Republicans. Joe Manchin is a Democrat, Kirsten Cinema, and then a bunch of Republicans. They want to means test the child credit to death. So if Joe Manchin gets his way, people that make $60,000 or more will not be able to get the child credit expansion. Uh, they're going to have a work requirement for getting the child tax credit. So there are people trying to do something, come up with, with solutions for these problems and the corruption of our government simply don't even allow it allow people to start starting to start talking about solutions. It's simply not allowed. Okay, so again, you're gonna you're gonna get all all the people out there that are cheering, going, "Let's go, Brandon!" for for what the Republicans and and Joe Manchin are doing to the infrastructure bill. Well, guess what? You're gonna keep all the they, they're keeping all the new new uh, green New Deal crap. They're keeping all the anti white stuff. They're keeping all the scams and graft. What they're going to cut into is the stuff that might benefit normal people. That's where they want to take all the excess in the budget out of. So, um, yeah, that's going to be our politics, and that's why the issue is happening. And they're just going to basically – I don't know what they're going to do, okay? Because like you guys were saying too, like this isn't just a problem in in, in the West. There's also plenty of non-European, non-African countries that are having this problem, and not just in Asia, okay? Increasingly, the Muslim world. It has low birth rates. Birth rates are lowering. I think, it's a, I think there's a huge cultural aspect to it too. Like I, there, I think there's. I'm gonna steal a, a, a old line from from Molyneux, uh for, with this, but you know we we have this horrible feminist culture where we we teach women, we teach young girls that like they can have it all. You can you can you can be a mom. You can you can have your career and then you can be a mom when when you're when you're done having your career which, which is nonsense. And I you know then a lot of in our milieu like to try to go like balls to the wall in the opposite direction like no, barefoot in the kitchen for the rest of your life till you die. Crap out kids forever. And I'm not personally opposed to if women have aspirations that they would like to do something at some point in their life with, you know, writing or, or whatever you know whatever they might want to do the, the the option needs to be presented them in, a, in an accurate way like right. y- yes you you can i i tell this to my daughters all the time you you can be a mommy and and have a career someday but you need to do it in the right order because right. god only gives you enough time to have a baby at a certain part in your life and you need to do it then yeah and i, I then think i think on. what what gets lost in this debate and the reactionaries get lost in it too is that pe- women actually aren't given a choice. You know, so like, right. <laughs> you know, think about it this way. If you actually offer the choice to walk with your feet or walk with your hands, you're going to walk with your fucking feet. Most people are going to walk with their feet. But if the only choice that is allowed is walking with your hands, then people don't even know you can do that. Yep. So that's actually what's going on here. We've seen actually during COVID, a lot of the, the problem they're having with the so-called labor shortage is actually women that have spent a year off during the COVID pandemic getting the payments to stay home that now are like, I don't want to go back to work. I like spending time with my kids. That's actually one of the big drivers for the labor shortage that they claim they have. So 
all these fucking populist ink types that say, oh, uh, you know, like someone was telling me today that J.D. Vance, who is like this partisan increasingly he's like a populism ink partisan and he he's trying to get biden he's saying look at biden spending all this money like making budget hawk arguments which is so fucking stupid at this point uh and the same guy goes well we can't we don't want to pay for uh free daycare for for working women because if we do that's going to discourage them from becoming stay-at-home moms fine i actually agree with that but then why aren't republicans pushing to use the money that liberals want to use for daycare to give women the option to stay home with their kids. You give them the money that you would otherwise use for daycare services. But they're not promoting that. They're not fucking even suggesting that. So they're just fucking – this is all fake. It's all fake. They have no solutions. They can't give a fucking solution. Okay, It's all fucking scam. They're just doing this to, to trick people into voting for them. You know. So again, give women the option. Give women the option to walk the normal way. And I'll tell you something, 80-20, women will choose to stay home and be homemakers if you pay them. It's not pushing uh, birth control. I agree with that, and I'm going to riff off of a project Algies just said. It's good to mess with the natural rhythm of your sex hormones. That's what birth control is. And, like, birth control is kind of falls in that, specifically the birth control pill that women take, falls in that category kind of like the vaccines do. And a lot of other... uh, medications that that are are controversial because it like we we started shoving it down people's throats before we had any idea what the long-term effects of it are and we're starting to find now that women who have been on the pill for for years are having fertility problems there are elevated rates of cervical cancer heart um uh, blood clots all kinds of stuff is like starting to come around now and not to mention like if anybody who's been with a woman who's not on birth control, like women are ruled by the moon. It's, it's no fucking joke. <laughs> and it's, it's the way they're supposed to be. And it, when you, when you allow them to like exist the but way like God ended, when you allow them to exist like that though, they, they, they will just, they'll, they'll realize on their own almost that they, they can walk with their feet to use your metaphor. Yeah. And, it's it's a natural one, but when you when you load them up with hormones that that take away everything feminine away from them except for their like physical attributes, they they don't want to do it. They like it, it's it, it's just another example of taking the natural and the beautiful and and twisting it yeah. into this mutant form of itself to, I, I to make to, us sterile and obedient. Back in the day, I would I would be able to suss out women that were on birth control. Because they would always be the one chick that goes, Adam Sandler is hot. <laughs> I remember that when I was younger. There would always be some, some woman be like, Adam Sandler is so hot. And I'm like, yeah, that bitch is on a lot of birth control. Because, yes, it does. It even changes your taste in men, apparently. A lot, a I lot of hearing that. Yeah, it makes like, like if, if you ever see a really hot tea. girl, if you ever see a really hot girl with like a kind of like a really wimpy looking bug man that like the, and they do like tandem bicycle rides together if you ever see a hot girl with that like it's usually either for money or because the guy fucking the, the girl's on like birth control and it's hacked her her instincts for men uh so yeah that's definitely true um 
Yes. Anyway, let's move on to the next. One. Uh, well, I just want, what, what I want to quickly uh, uh, cap on that subject. I'm going to read you guys this this these, this idea from the King of the Simps here. Modernity was not an end in itself, but a means by which the German people, especially the German working class and German women, could be mobilized in support of the project of national revival. Hitler exalted technological development, aeroplanes, typewriters, telephones, and suspension bridges, and even domestic appliances. These would free German women from drudgery and enable them to be better wives, producing more children. How little our poor women benefit from progress, he lamented. There is so much one can do to make a woman's life easier with the help of technology. But most people still think today that a woman is only a good housewife if she is constantly dirty and working from early until late. And then Hitler continued... One is surprised when the woman is not intellectual enough for the man, when he cannot find stimulation and recuperation. Worse still, he went on, this was bad for the race because it was obvious that his overtired wife will not have as healthy children as one who is well-rested, can read good books, and so on. Yeah, yeah, like, totally agree with that. Yeah, Hitler, the, the Nazis had a far more moderate opinion on these things than, say, the, the, the reactionary types in Austria or something. You know, I mean, right. yes... There's going to be women uh, that there. There are some very, there are very talented women that can contribute to society in ways that aren't just having children. That actually exists, but the problem is that that's not most women. Like (laughs) we lie to them, we lie to them and tell them that, uh, and we we actually do it to everybody. To be honest, the the biggest lie I was sold. I I was you know I was in school in the, the early aughts, and like the biggest lie that kids were told and are told is, and I sound like a boomer, but is that you're special. And that you can be whatever you want. Participation trophies. <laughs> Not even it's just just the lie that like oh you you're good at this obscure thing that is useless to most of society. Well, you can be that even though there's only five people that do it. Like it's it's just and we do the same thing. We make false promises to the young generation and we set them up for disappointment. Where you know past generations, you know all throughout our two hundred thousand years as a species. Yeah have been content with being able to like scrape some food up for themselves and have babies that lived like we've set the bar way too high for, for uh, most of our current generation. Yeah. I mean, listen, as a man personally in in my life, and this might just me, but you know, I've, I've always had relatively traditional uh, relations with women in the sense of gender roles and so on. Um, However, I'm also not going to be a fucking, you know, hey, is that, are you reading a book? You know, I'm not that type of, that type. You know, I think that there is a middle point here. There is. Uh, my, and, my wife is a very avid reader, and yeah, I love it. it it's, you know, I actually, it, it, when you meet an intelligent, well, I'll tell you what, there is a kind of pleasure for meeting and, 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 and discussing and, and just uh, talking with an intelligent woman. That yes. you don't even get when you talk to an intelligent man. It's a very unique kind of, uh, you know, interesting feeling you get when you get. No, the, the best moments of my, of my, normal day to day life is when my wife has a lot to tell me because she she listened to a podcast or she read something and she wants to talk to me about it. And, you know, the kids are in bed and we have an hour to talk and it's it's. It's something I don't think many people get anymore. Is like yeah. a conversation. No, no. If you have that, moron, but also have, isn't a shit lib. Yeah, if you have that in your relationship, you're very lucky. Yes, because that's not very common to have. That. <laughs> uh, so you know that that's a thing. Like you know, I mean, I've again all, all women I've dated seriously in my life have been women that are actually 
high IQ and and not not that that's everything, but I, I can't spend long periods of time. Yeah, let me just quote uh, Sylvester Stallone from The Expendables. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, have you ever seen The Expendables? I haven't. No. Well, there's a scene where they're flying a plane. Uh, I was it. Oh, fuck. Was it Expendables 2? Ah, shit. But anyway, uh, th- there, there's a scene where Sylvester Stallone and Jason Statham are talking while flying a plane. And Sylvester Stallone's like, No, you get hot and heavy for 20 minutes. Then you get when you're hanging out with a woman. Then, then what do you do? Right? So that's the thing. Like, if you have a, a, an intelligent woman... Yep. Um, that That's actually the, the... This is something women actually... A lot of women out there should fucking, if you're listening to this, um, a lot of women out there are convinced that, like, being dumb and acting like a little Japanese schoolgirl and just giggling all the time and, and all that, like, like actually, like, uh, if you're a woman who has something to talk about and, like, an interest, it does actually add to your appeal. If you oh, have yeah. interest, it, it adds, absolutely adds to your appeal. It, being a smart woman is like having big tits. Seriously. Well, looks fade and... All right, let's you know, not go. Let's not go down that route either. <laughs> like you're in a long-term relationship with somebody, looks looks do fade. Like you don't stay young and beautiful forever, and the the physical aspect of a relationship can start to wane after so many years and after people get older. And like, what do you? It's this exactly what you just said. What are you left with after that? Like, are you left with just like this old dumb sack that you can't do anything with now, or are you that's left with a woman that's still a woman that you speak to? Forties and fifties. You look at the divorce rate in people's fifties; that's when it starts happening. Yeah, and I and I find that one thing I found really sad is is the all the all, all the the divorce the divorces that happened during the pandemic. And I and I heard a lot of conservative types saying, "Doctor Fauci did this to make us divorce us our 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 wives." Again, our wives your relationship like, that more time together causes you to get divorced. Right, that, that's a deeper problem than the yeah. lockdown. That that is a a deeper social problem and a problem with with the way people select for their mates too. You know, um, so that that needs to be talked about as well. But yeah, yeah, women women have to understand that you know your looks matter. Looks matter for everyone, men or women. Yeah. But if you again, if you have like like an average looking girl that is intelligent, or even a, a you know not an ugly girl, but like you know, it adds points to 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 your uh, appeal to men. Uh, and if you're attractive and you're intelligent, you got everything. So uh, that's something I think that should be stressed here. Again, don't a lot of women will will go on the internet. A lot of women I know. We'll go on the internet and be like, I don't. What the hell's wrong with with all these alt right guys that are constantly like talking about like how they want women chained to the stove and shit like that? And um, you know, like saying oh, that, that would really, be, that would honestly be an improvement over some of the over some <laughs> of the shit that I, I've seen. That indicates having an actual interest in women. I, I mean, like I, I would actually that <laughs> well, would be a massive improvement over some of the stuff I've seen. What I tell them is, you know, you know what they say, like, you know, anyone you talk to on the Internet could be just like a dog using a computer. Well, like that's that's wait, true. Wait. But it's like a G. Wait, is, that, is that is that is that a, is that a joke about me? Yes. 
Yes. No, but it, it it's actually like a lot of the people doing the the kind of really nasty mass. Listen, we all know what women things about women and and so on and patterns and whatever. But the really nasty shit, where like I want to kill women. Uh, I love Elliot Rogers, like that kind of stuff. Like that shit is like stuff that, um, frankly, is common with with extremely fringe kind of incel types and also like a lot of non-whites, frankly. You know that are on the internet, particularly like Indians and certain types of of non-whites. You know that they get they get mad because they watch too much porn and they want to date blonde women, and the blonde women don't like them back. So they have to they come up with these like really nasty grievances. So yeah, there you go. All right, moving on to the next uh, next thing here. Uh, Johnny Tightlips donates 10. I was over at my grandmother's and she was curious as to what homes were going for in her hometown of Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. The smallest, the most rundown of houses in the neighborhood were all well over a million. What kind of people are paying millions of dollars to live in these parts of NYC? I'm gonna guess it's just, yeah, I'm guessing it's just because of the real estate. Not so many people are living there. Uh, I would say, but, yeah, first of all, there's no guarantee people are living there, but Bensonhurst has a lot of Asians and kind of wealthy um basically i think what it is is that you get a lot of real estate companies that buy these out and because it's in new york city it's just going to be expensive like it's just it doesn't matter what it looks like or what it is that's just how it is there everything in new york is expensive and it's because there's too many people because oftentimes you'll see in these in these brownstones in 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 brooklyn there, there will be like three or four people living in a two-bedroom apartment that that aren't family members. You know, you, you see that very often, and they're all paying a thousand dollars a month to have the privilege to sleep on someone's couch like that. That's very common in New York. So yeah. Um. Anyway. Okay, and going on to Glenn the Chinaman. Uh, he donates 10. Do you know Taiwan was originally a Dutch colony? The Ming Dynasty declared war on the Dutch in the 1600s, and the Dutch were expelled after the siege of Fort Zealandia. Chinese colonized Taiwan afterwards. Early Chinese, early Taiwanese history is full of crushing aboriginal revolts and forced assimilation. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, p- part of the, the Taiwan problem that Zog is having right now, where they're mad, because remember... So Taiwan, this is a long story. I'm not going to get into it, but Taiwan basically makes the the best semiconductors in the world. So like your iPhone has uses a semiconductor that's made in Taiwan at like one factory that has a secret proprietary um, method for constructing these things. So that that's one of the reasons they're a little freaked out about it, about China potentially taking over Taiwan and so on. But uh, it, it's a problem of their own making. Because remember, in 1949, after the Chinese, the Chinese Civil War, uh, Chiang Kai-shek fled to what was then called Formosa, and then was renamed the Republic of China. So NATO, the United States, whatever you want to call it, the 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 Liberal Alliance, um, created the idea that Taiwan is Chinese. And or it was already there, but it was more controversial. But thanks to the United States recognizing the Republic of China as Taiwan, they cemented the idea. They settled the debate on whether Taiwan is Chinese. 
So this is a problem of their own making. Like, what are they going to say now? You called it, you called Taiwan the Republic of China for like 50 fucking years. And now the Chinese are saying, oh, okay, this is just part of our land. And you're whining about it. You know, so this is this is why this this whole thing is just silly. Just let well, them. Now, if, now if, you, if it's all Chinese, if if this is a land that is full of Chinese people, it's near China, then it's Chinese. What can we say? And you end now, and you're now you're ending up in this weird situation. And this, I'm going to be very simplifying this stuff, so people who are you know wonks about this stuff just. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna simplify it. Sorry. The two general uh, parties, as it were, their coalitions is the Pan Greens and the Pan Blues. And the Pan Greens, which are the ones that are in power right now, are the more like libtard, much more libtarded party, comparatively. And but they're more like wanting Taiwanese independence. Um, it's and it's the the Pan Blues who are the descendants of the KMT, the, uh, the Kuomintang. Uh, they're the ones that are pro Chinese reunification, right? Now, now, like that simplifies what their actual like policy positions on on all of that are. But I mean, like that's the funniest thing. The funniest thing about that now is that the 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 party descent from Chiang Kai Shek would much rather see a a a reintegration with China at this point. Well, also, uh, Chinese, you know, someone said in the chat completely erroneously. I mean, maybe. Partially, Chiang Kai-shek before Japan invaded was an ally of Hitler. No, they actually weren't. The, I mean, there there is something maybe to that, but the KMT, Kuomintang, was in the common turn. They were in the common turn in the 1920s. The Soviet Union supported Chiang Kai-shek's group in the 1920s, and it was for all intents and purposes a communistic group. Maybe they're more liberal nationalist. But there's even a book, I think... Um, uh, Lenin wrote about the 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 Kuomintang and Chinese nationalism, why the Soviet Union supported them. So, uh, and and not to mention in World War II, the Kuomintang uh, fought in the same armies as the Chinese communists. So they fought with Mao. The reason why and and the Western allies supported them. Wow. So uh, the Kuomintang, Chiang Kai-shek, fought with Mao's communist groups. In an alliance against the the Japanese. Uh, okay, this is. I, versus I, I never, I never, I never even, yeah. I never even heard heard of this before. But yeah, right here. Yes, in, 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 in 1923, the KMT and its Canton government accepted aid from the Soviet Union after being denied recognition by the Western oh, powers. Soviet advisors, the most prominent of whom was Mikhail Borodin, an agent of the Comintern, arrived in China in 1923 to aid in the reorganization and consolidation of the KMT yes. along the lines of the Communist Party, establishing a Leninist party structure that lasted into the 1990s. The KMT huh. was a communist, yes, it was a communist party that, that fell out of favor for a variety of reasons. Oh, and, uh, yeah. In and out. In, yeah. in 1923, Chiang Kai-shek was uh, sent to Moscow for... There you uh, go. Military and political study. Wow, I didn't, this, yeah, that's I, why. I, like, I, I never even knew that. Yeah, if you, if you see the world as a battle between like the good guys and communism, you're going to have some. You just you're going to have ahistorical opinions. Well, uh, that makes it even funnier now when that what was his name like Phil Greaves or something like that. That, yeah. uh, that they just that ignore this. Like, yeah, but like I, he he blocked me because I had I, at the time I was going by Ch- uh, Chan. Kai Shrek with with a with a Chiang Kai Shek uh, 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 King Chiang Kai Shek as a Shrek character and he blocked me. For that. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that's very very uh, esoteric humor. Yeah, uh, 
But right. yes, let's move on. And I think this moves over to the donation that uh, the two donations Frank threw in the chat here. Robert, uh, Rob Gulliman. I'm just going to call him Rob. Donate a, a buck. Uh, following from the previous donation, the cult of the Holocaust proves every nation throughout history and in the modern day is a theocracy and there could be no separation of church and state because if not, the state will create an informal church. Which is almost worse. Wait, what was that? I, I could Something about the... Is it something so, I can read here? So basically okay, I can read that, it in the chat. Hold on, is it the yeah, yeah. Basically what he's saying is that there's no society that does not have a, a state oh, right. church of some kind. Or a myth. Well, regardless yes. of, yeah, yeah. Every I mean, society that, that was, has a that myth was, that rationalizes why you do things. Well, and that was the that was I mean that was the point that Sorel uh, basically because he was a Marxist who basically realized that the 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 Orthodox Marxists had it all wrong that there was you couldn't just reduce everything to these just to material you can't ignore material conditions but you can't reduce everything to materialism there there has to be a motivating yes. myth. And I, and I don't, again, I don't like the the kind of uh, polarization between religious and material. Both are true. Uh, there is, a, there is a, a mythical aspect to history, but there's also a material one. And if you just go full-on philosophical or religious speculation for everything, you're going to come up with wrong things. But if you also just be total, a total materialistic observer of history, then you're also going to miss things. So yes, that's absolutely true. Oh, when you have the uh, the the lie of separation of church and state, all you end up with is yeah the same thing we were talking about, where you have these 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 informal edicts that you cannot violate, but you can't, but yeah. no one ever tells you that you can't violate. Yeah. Them. you're never punished for violating them. You're punished right. for other things. Like so saying 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 blacks than same, having an actual state church. <laughs> saying blacks are the same as whites, and there's no actual genetic or or racial distinction between them is, is as ridiculous, or possibly more, than saying that the Earth is flat. I mean, it just is. It's just as ascientific. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yet, if you don't say the modern version of the Earth is flat, um, you will be punished, just like people who said the Earth was round were punished. During the middle era, the middle ages, so you know this is something that yes is timeless. It's timeless. Every elite oppresses those who go up against it, and every elite oppresses those who question their the myths for why they're in power. Right? Just read Pareto. Pareto talks about this, <clears throat> and he does it by observing history of how elites behave and how they create myths and so on and. They do it to, to, to justify their own power. So when you attack something like the Holocaust, you are attacking the fundamental building blocks of Jewish power. Jewish power is is comprised of and based off of the Holocaust. That's what's rationalizing it. That if you question the idea that 2% of the population should control all of our Ivy League schools, medias, and banks, and politicians, and uh, everything that you can think of social media that if you question that you are basically uh, the devil in their phony baloney story right that's it exactly. they don't have to actually defend why they're in charge why the fuck are, are 2% of the population in charge of everything without the consent of the people and they can't answer that so they just appeal to the, the authority of this myth 
And you see that time and time again, especially, and the more unscrupulous, the more unscrupulous an elite is, the more they rely on their myths. That's how it always works. So, yes. Okay, and... Yeah, uh, last donation here. Jordan donates $3. Would you guys be willing to talk to Jay Dyer? Oh, there's another one that just came through. Uh, go ahead and throw that one in the chat there, Frank. But uh, Jordan donates $3. Would you guys be willing to talk to Jay Dyer on geopolitics or philosophy? Or maybe someone like our favorite esoteric Aryan anthropologist like Robert Sapere? Just some guest ideas. Uh, yeah, we can look through it. Um, we can look through that stuff. I mean, I, the thing is, like, I think... I could be wrong about this. We can try, but I think those guys are more like they don't want to be seen in public talking to the. Again, I could be wrong, but they don't want to be seen in public talking to the naughty, the naughty people at the naughty table. Um, so I don't know, but uh, yeah, I could talk to these guys if they're if they're friendly and or want to have a conversation. Totally, yeah. Okay, uh, let's see here. In turncoat tradition during $5, Borpzoi, please get Eric Stryker to talk about why strip clubs have the best buffets. One of my favorite <laughs> TPS oh, moments, right. not going to lie. Who, who right. else remembers? Yes, yes. We, we, we discussed a... Uh, that's for the next one. Yeah. For the next one. That's, can we you will discuss... That's over, we will that's discuss hot cuisine at titty bars. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, I think we can we can wrap it up here. I don't see anything else. So Is that about it. Uh, did, I, right. did I cover? Wait, did I cover? Oh, uh, five dollars from Phantom Soul. Taiwan also makes very good machine tools. Yeah, yeah. So right, I mean, think, think about. I mean, America is part of the reason why Taiwan became the um, the semiconductor and, and sometimes uh, machine tool capital of the world is because of America as a kind of geopolitical thing. Which is, again, this is the, the downside of globalization. Well, now China wants to take them over, and you just built all, help them build all this infrastructure to have this rare resource. Why didn't you just have it built in America? Okay, right? Like, why didn't they just build the ability to make semiconductors? At this point, it's too late. There's just simply not enough people who are intelligent enough to make the, that kind of semiconductor in the U.S. But once upon a time, there were. And they chose to make Taiwan the capital of it so that they could have some kind of leverage over China. And now they're fucked. So that, there's another problem with globalization. Okay. But anyway, let's keep going. Um, I think we're I mean, I think we heading out here. Unless we did another donation come through that I missed. I, I, I heard a little sparkle. Uh, yeah. Was the, there another sparkle there? there? I thought I did. Are people, are, people, are people slipping in last minute donations, Frank? Uh, no, I think we're good. Oh, uh, Ant donates $3 TPS rules. Oh, thank you, Ant. Yes. Yes, as for guests, uh, we, we, we were going to bring on a, uh, another guest, but he has a schedule problem. But yeah, we can bring on uh, email if you want. We have the TPS email. Um, if you know of any interesting guests to connect us with them, uh, we do have... Uh, number, I believe next week we're going to have uh, one of the people that, that runs the Nationals Organization Action Zelandia, which uh, nice. I, I really, really like. I, I believe Kerry Bolton is a member and uh, very, very exciting what they're doing. Um, very, very similar in concept to Patriarch Alternative and National Justice Party and so on. 
Uh, so we have that, and then we have a couple of authors scheduled, I believe. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Um, and by, by the way, yeah, I mean, uh, Hunter from the People's Samizdat said he'd, he'd like to come on, but he uh, wants to, he's, he's, he's trying to build, work on something right now, so he said That's around fine, yeah. uh, December, after, right after he launches yes. it, so. Yes, no, not too uh, shabby. Phantom Soul, uh, one, yeah. Go ahead. Phantom Soul, one buck, TPS is the only live stream I listen to in full. Ah, yes, and I'm also glad we're starting to rebuild, after all this time, rebuild our audience on alternative platforms. We got uh, Odyssey. We had like about 180 live viewers, which is pretty good for the new platform. And then we have about we had over like 200, 220 on the YouTube. So, considering it was a short notice that we announced it, once we start doing this with regularity, we'll have we'll be building back to our peak. Which, if anyone remembers, in 2018 when we were allowed to use YouTube, we were getting, in some cases, 1,200, 1,300 live viewers per stream on the People's Square. And uh, now that we have a streaming platform that allows us to use our First Amendment rights, we are going to build that back in no time. Um, so, yes. Um, anyway, uh, Zilla, uh post or uh, talk about what where they, people can find you specifically. I'm just – you can go to my website, gingerzillacomics.com. How do you spell um, J-I-N-J-E-R-Z-I-L-L-A. C-O-M-I-C-S. Okay, and your Telegram? My Telegram is the same thing, just without the .com, and then also Jay-Z Backup, because my my uh, my regular Telegram, my first Telegram, I got nuked, because I had, it was compromised, and then this is the new one I made, and then now that one has that stupid Apple Android thing, where it's banned on those devices, mm. so I have Jay-Z Backup for people who use those devices. And that's really all. I'm I'm on Gab too, but I don't use Gab because it sucks. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's doing he's he's doing what he can. Hey, I, yeah. No. 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 I mean, it's hate, better. But... It's. I'll tell you what. Gab is still better than uh, Donald Trump's. You know, Donald Trump's new thing, which well, Gab... is apparently his new new thing. Which is, uh, I thought Getter was Donald Trump's thing. I should say. I should say a little differently. Gab is a fine piece of software. Just no. it's just boomer libertarian central. Like, oh, what, <laughs> it's, it's well that that's that's one thing that you know one one critique and this is in good faith. It's not to attack or or undermine uh, Torbo whatever. But one critique people have is that when you are hyper politicize your your you know as as a chief executive officer, and I know it's unfair because all the other ones do it. But if you're building a social media platform and it seems like you're extremely um, you know, you know, Don, this is this is going to be the Donald Trump social media platform. It does sort of create an echo chamber, right? Yeah, and and that's the critique I've seen. That's that's something that I think Odyssey is is avoiding to some degree, which I think is is good um, for the long term. And I, and I also really think the technology for Odyssey is the future of the internet. So I don't know what they're going to do to shut them down. But um, I guess we'll, we'll see as time goes on. But anyway, uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up. All right. I mean, I'm working. Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing a series on America against America for hyper podcastism. So check that out. The red stuff that is. I don't know when the uh, the next episode is going to come out. I was wanted to do it weekly originally, but it's. I think it's probably going to be semi weekly because I just got a lot going on right now. So. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, we can get out of here. Go ahead and play us out, Frank. Have a good night, everybody. All right. Take care, everyone. Have a good night. Thank <laughs> you.